Welcome back, everyone, to Mesnaigan Isquiac. We are the Bookwomen, and my name is Kayla, and I am here with my fellow Bookwomen, Tanya and Sheila. And today we have a special guest. Wyatt. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Wyatt. Can we get you to introduce yourself, do your thing, tell everyone who you are? Sure, yeah. So my name is Wyatt Schiefelbein. I'm a Métis man from the city of Calgary, and I play the fiddle. Do you want me to go more into, like, my history with the fiddle, or do we save that for later? I mean... You can say whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. yeah. For it, yeah. Uh, sure, yeah. How, wait, hold on, hold on. How would you tell us um, a little bit about, other than the fiddle, what you're up to? How do you know oh. some of the book women? How do we know you? How do we know you? Yeah, so I'm doing my PhD right now in the Faculty of Native Studies at the University of Alberta, um, where I also did my master's degree. And that's where I know, I think, just about all of you from. No, yeah, all of you from is, you know, the different sort of social spheres that I've been a part of because of that. (laughs) If you're Indigenous and at the U of A, you've likely run into... We know each other. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a small world. <laughs> it's a good world, small though. Small native world. And I think, yeah. like, the oh, first great. time that we actually all hung out, kind of as, like, the larger group of us was actually watching Sheila do some burlesque dancing. Oh, oh yeah! No, I think we hung up no? before. Did we? And then all also, together? All was together? that with the charcuterie board? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was really. That was <laughs> yeah, fun. that was with the twenties burlesque. Um, yeah, yeah, I keep How- thinking of that male burlesque dancer. He was awesome. I have oh, never seen a male burlesque good. dancer before. I'm like, yes. Yes, that was Bo Bo Creep with the House House of Hush burlesque. There you go, House of Hush. We had a great time. Yeah, I think they're still doing stuff online, but I'm not too sure about that. But yeah, mm-hmm. Bo Creep, one of Edmonton's premier burlesque performers. Anyway, yeah, and that's how we bonded. Because <laughs> sometimes if you are in academia or academia adjacent, uh, you need to just watch not people do- get naked. Yeah, not do that for a while. I can, I can yeah, actually so- tell you, like, watching RuPaul's Drag Race has actually been like kind of saving me lately like we are on still kind of even a more stricter lockdown in Vancouver and all I've been doing is marking papers and editing like a 20 some page paper and having to redo all of the Chicago citations so all I've been doing is like laying on the couch editing and watching RuPaul's Drag Race and like just being like this is my life as an academic (laughs) like (laughs) Is that the paper that we're working on? Yeah, which it's just Uh, face palm. It is. It is ready to go. Other than that, like one edit that we talked about yesterday, the thing that you have to do, (laughs) and then it is out of my hands for a little bit. So yay! Yeah. So Wyatt, as you know, our podcast is about Indigenous storytelling, writing, editing, and publishing Indigenous stories, and we thought inviting you would be a really it would bring out a a new and interesting conversation. I know you are a fiddle player. Can you tell us a bit about how you see fiddling as connected to storytelling? Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about like what kind of fiddle I do and like the influences on me because that does actually impact I think our topic for today in some really significant ways. 
I actually started playing the violin when I was six. And the number one question I get asked by people, so I'm just going to answer it here, is what's the difference between a fiddle and a violin? And the response is the attitude of the person playing, I would say. Yeah, like some of these instruments work better as fiddles and some work better as violins. Like the, the instrument itself has a personality as well. So it's like the attitude of that instrument. Generally, it's the attitude of the player, I would say. Yeah, so that's that's like the, the simple answer I give people. But then, so I started with the violin and then I started to play, I got to a level where I was playing music that I couldn't really identify with anymore. It was, it just seemed kind of too showy, too all over the place for me. I really liked having a little bit more structure in the feel. And then I started to listen to fiddle music and that's really what I was looking for. For me, the fiddle music really explored like one feel and then would move on to like another one but it was like really predictable yeah so i started with celtic fiddle and then i did that for a few years and started doing metis fiddle probably six years ago now you know going back to my roots in both cases so, so to go back to your question i want to ask you one more question before we rewind here mm. so what makes a fiddling attitude it, i think a lot of it has to do with like why are you playing your ideas around why are you playing the music that you are my general sense is that fiddle playing is a lot about you, you have a lot more freedoms with it and you can tend to be a little bit more laid back you can be you know it's, it's about like having fun in some cases it's about telling a story in other cases um, whereas classical music even though it is also has that storytelling aspect to it mm -hmm. i find that the attitude is a lot more um uptight so and like it's a little bit more competitive in that sense like fiddle you can go to competitions but it's still fun it's still about like having a good time whereas if you like if you're a violinist you're always competing to like be the best and i i find it's a very different kind of competitiveness that i'm just not into yeah i know with classical music even if you go into competitions and festivals and stuff like that they're marking you on how closely you are to the actual printed music right so it doesn't leave mm -hmm. a lot of room for your personality to kind of show hey yeah i'd say it's different because you you do have to follow like to the t what's on the music but mm -hmm. you kind of get a little bit of there's like a few things you can do to to kind of like bring out your own style so like people who really know what they're doing can tell who's playing a classical piece on the violin just by listening i would say it's easier to do with the fiddle though like if you hear a fiddle player you can be like oh that's so and so like very obviously yeah it, it's very different you know even when like if you're a violinist and you're playing in an orchestra a lot of people don't know this but the seats that they sit in are arranged hierarchically and so you're always competing to literally move up in the seats. It's I, I've heard that with other other instruments and orchestras too. There's like the first chair or like the first flute or whatever it is. And that's usually the best player is sitting in that position. Yeah, they get the best melodies. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else has yeah. to play backup. Yeah. I know I did like I did competition piano when I was younger. And that was just I mean, I think that was actually mm. one of the things that drove me away from music was doing competitions and like classical competitions like that. I come from a family of great musicians and actually my my grandpa Verbicki, so my Ukrainian grandpa was an amazing fiddle player. And like most of my childhood memories of him is of him actually just playing the fiddle all the time and even like taking it out to the farm. And that was kind of the thing, like he'd get off work and he'd come home and play the fiddle. And they would just sit around and listen to music because they grew up very poor. And that was the one thing that they had. When I hear like the fiddle compared to the violin, it almost makes me think of like a class thing too. Like if you're playing the violin, mm. it, to me, it just is very like bougie almost. Like it's very hoity-toity. It's like classical piano too compared to like <laughs> jazz piano or something else. But when I hear the fiddle, I think very much so like 
working class people just play in the fiddle, like, you know, connecting to their families. Whereas like, I mean, yes, people do like to listen to the violin. I, I see that being more of like an individualistic thing, unless you're like drinking whiskey straight up, like in your penthouse in Vancouver, maybe you force your child to like play the violin for you every night, but you know. <laughs> oh, God. oh my God. I am laughing so hard, Kayla, because you say piano is so bougie have i ever showed you my piano it is the bougiest let me let me take you on a little tour of my house here Wyatt, you know this i don't know if you and kayla and sheila know this but i've played piano since i was about seven years old and this is my piano oh nice wow yeah it's a (laughs) yeah it's a baby grand stuff like that yeah it's a baby grand yeah i I had one when i was a kid too it's awesome i love it you hated it, hey? You know, for me, piano, I, I'm i like you, I, I do not like the classical music. I just, I never connected with it. The music that I connected the most with is like strong, intense ballads because I was always a really uh, emotional kid. I still am emotional now and depression and stuff like that. So it, it was a way to channel my emotions into this piano. So I'd like cry <laughs> and like play at the same time. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. I, I feel that. I Like there are classical, I do like, classical music generally but there's like a certain part of it that just I'm not into like once you start getting into like some of the later eras Mm -hmm. I find what got me into it speaking of like depression and like crying while you're playing was um we were in the car and I was like little I moved around a lot as a kid so we were actually in Norway at the time we were listening to the radio and this one classical piece came on it's called Ozzy's Death it's literally a requiem but it's written by Edward Grieg, who is like a Norwegian nationalist composer. And that one piece, I loved it so much. I was like, I want to play the violin because it was so emotional. Right? It was like, it was so sad. Mm-hmm. And I love that. My little depressed six-year-old self. I don't think I was depressed, but (laughs) maybe angsty. I don't know. But yeah, it was great. I loved it. And so here we are today. So what's the link between fiddle and storytelling? I've been thinking about this a lot. So it's really fun that like you folks asked me to be on here and to talk about it because I don't get to talk about this stuff a lot. As I mentioned, I play Celtic styles and I play Métis style. I'm going to say if I talk, like I'm giving definitive answers, maybe take that with a grain of salt because like it's always, there's always shades of these things. But generally I find that Celtic music is a lot about the storytelling aspect and less so about like the dance aspect. Whereas Métis is a lot more about the dance and less about the specific storytelling. There's always stories that come with tunes, particularly in communities where like that tune is from. There are so many stories about the devil and the fiddle. There is a huge connection there because our family has one too. And it's the typical one that uh, one of our cousins sold his soul to the devil. Like he ended up at a crossroads and the devil approached him and he says he wants to play the fiddle and he's the best fiddle player in all of St. Ambrose um, because he sold his soul. But the one thing that I like just laugh at in that story is that the devil drives a black limousine, apparently. I totally want to flesh that out. I'll probably look at that more in my research. But yeah, the fiddle and the devil. I wonder why that is. And it's the same with the guitar, right? Because there's lots of stories about guitar players selling their soul. Um, Like there's that really famous blues musician. And they just actually did the documentary Devil at the Crossroads, which is about him selling his soul to be the best blues musician. Um, And I can't remember his name right now, but it's fascinating. 
And I think it's one of those things too, like the type, you never hear like the person who plays the piccolo that sold their soul to the devil. I think it's actually like the instrument and kind of just like how you said with fiddle music, how it kind of goes away from that like classical music and same with the guitar, like, you know, the guitar would have been used in a certain way. And then we see it notes being played music that's being played that sounds different and people are reacting differently to it. So it kind of has this like different kind of like cultural connotation, like the devil's note, right? That is played in like, I believe orchestral music. And that is like a very low kind of sounding note. Like it's the way that you play the music, right? The attitude behind it. And well, a lot of times with fiddles, it's not like sweet and like going back and forth necessarily. But a lot of time when people are playing the fiddle, it's a lot rougher than the like it's a rougher sound than the violin right so and also I think it's people being like how can this person be so good and it's probably a little bit of jealousy too like how are they so good oh they probably sold their soul to the devil that's why they're so good (laughs) like (laughs) well it could even be like because I know a lot of these stories that have to do with the devil they first kind of came out as a method of control right but if you think about it obviously you all know how much I love this devil character Li Jiab is my homeboy, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So the devil, like, if you think about it, in those types of stories, the devil is giving the power back, right? Because the fiddle, it has so much culture imbued with it. I'm sure some sort of Christian missionary was like, well, let's attach some fear onto that. And maybe it'll, we'll be able to control. But I don't know, I'm still unpacking this, obviously. But I I like to see the devil as a form of resistance, like as a as a resurgence kind of a character to give the power back to to the people to do their own thing and to practice their culture the way that it's intended. (laughs) <laughs> the jab is my homeboy is uh, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm putting that up, out there as like merch throw that on a t-shirt yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... some mugs oh I'd buy that mug oh yeah <laughs> oh man you're welcome world yeah so the artist um, that I was talking about in Devil at the Crossroads is Robert Johnson who is an African-American okay. blues mm. artist And the thing with him is that still to this day, like music historians cannot recreate his guitar playing. And that's kind of the thing around him. However, I believe he died a really horrible death and quite a young death as well. And they have a bunch of actually like modern musicians who are like uh, rock musicians trying to replicate as well as like um, music historians trying to replicate his guitar playing and no one can do it so that's kind of like the myth also behind the person sometimes that's where these like devil stories come from as well is like oftentimes the person's very unique when we see those devil stories like the person there's something special about them they're unique they might be a little bit of an oddball too um a little bit mysterious and then that's where we get those like devil stories too you got to put the mystery behind the person man i hope i get a great devil story one day like <laughs> oh my god me too i mean yeah I don't no know i will but i'll create it for myself <laughs> i am <laughs> cool. i am legia <laughs> well and i think it's so interesting too that you mentioned that like you know he died young and like such a i don't know the specifics of that one but like a pretty rough death and that that feeds into these stories right like that's part of the deal the idea anyway is that like you trade your soul for or whatever for this skill set but you do end up dying early and quite violently let's uh swing back to you here wyatt um (laughs) (laughs) see we get distracted it it happens it happens (laughs) 
These are so Wyatt, stories. you touched this, you touched on this a little bit already. Can you talk to us a little bit more? Because you said you started out with classical music and that's where your interest kind of sparked out. How did you move from classical to Métis fiddling? That's a long story. Uh, I'll give you the, the condensed version of it. So I started, as I mentioned, with violin and I, I did quite well with the violin for my age I never practiced I think if I actually practiced I would be way better then and now I got to a point where I was playing pieces that I felt were more for show than it was for like telling a story or like bringing out emotion in the audience um and that's not necessarily true like people who listen to that kind of music do feel a lot of emotion from it but I didn't and so I couldn't put it into the music when I was playing so I just didn't have that emotional connection to it I've never told anyone this but I'm going to share my secret you know that like hippy dippy new age kind of stuff um well our neighbor introduced us to like quote unquote celtic new age like hip, hippy dippy kind of thing and i really liked it as a kid and i was like oh what's this celtic music thing and then i started listening to it i was like this isn't what i've been listening to but i kept listening to it and i really started to love it and then i talked to my teacher at the time this was in a small town outside of chicago and so for folks who don't know Chicago has a really big Irish immigrant influence and a long like American Irish fiddle history. Uh, one of the top fiddle players in the world right now, I would say, uh, Liz Carroll, she's based out of Chicago. She wasn't my teacher though. But so anyway, I told my teacher, I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in playing some Celtic music. What do you think about that? And she was so stoked because what I didn't realize was that she played Irish fiddle and was in a band. And so the next class I had, she had made this little tune book for me out of all these different tunes in her collection. Fortunately, that was the last class I had with her though. So I just had this tune book and my classical upbringing. And so I just listened to more and more fiddle and I tried to play these tunes the way that I was listening to these other fiddle players and then I moved to Calgary and got lessons from a bluegrass fiddle player uh, then I went to Victoria and really started to reconnect with who I was as a Métis person and all that with other Métis folks who were there and I started to do well so I met a friend of mine Blake Desjardins and he basically was like hey you play the fiddle right I was like yeah and he goes well I jig and these folks over here want us to do a little show and tell about like Métis culture. Would you do some Métis tunes? I was like, I don't know how to do that. So basically he gave me the rundown and I learned St. Nan's Reel and the Red River Jig. Basically just played those two tunes uh, over and over. Kind of like the Blues Brothers when they went to the country bar and they just played like those two songs all night. Oh like my gosh, I love that <laughs> yeah. movie so much. Oh, it's so good. Eh? We're on a mission uh, from God. Exactly, yeah. I really related to them in that moment. And then, um, <laughs> but I started to like get a, a bigger appreciation for it because I had heard Métis music before, but I didn't understand it. So I, I never really got into it. But then after my friend was telling me about it and he was like, you know, these are, this is why we do this. And this is why it sounds this way. It gave me the introduction I needed to really be like, oh, this is what's happening in this music. And I started to understand it better. I could, and then I started to play more on my own. And then I started to do, we did more shows. And then me and uh, another jigger, Simone Blaze, 
started to do shows as well and it, it was just so much fun it was like a, it was a different way of relating to the music and to the stories in the music yeah so that's kind of the the short of it hey so where did you perform at did you perform like at cultural centers or other places mm-hmm. so for the metis stuff we we did it for schools quite a bit yeah for schools and we did uh they had like big feasts in victoria when i was there um with like i don't know if a lot of people listening to the podcast may not have been to the west coast but they do things a little different there and you know in the feast hall in the longhouse at least when i was there in victoria you know you had all these people from all these indigenous people from different places and one of their things is like we want to showcase all of these different cultures of the people in this space who who we've invited and they started with the people who are furthest away and i can't remember who they were and then then we would do our thing so we did that a couple times you know we did i did a show just me because no one was available to jig um in the Royal BC Museum, which was pretty interesting for different folks. I did one for the government when they were celebrating Aboriginal People Day. Also Car Free Day, we did some there. It's just different, like a very eclectic mix of groups. Does it make a difference with your intentions maybe or the style that you choose to do, like who you're performing for? Does that make a big difference? Like if you're performing for a school versus a cultural center versus I don't know where else? Yeah, I would say so. So some venues will be more open to having get like the audience come and learn how to jig and or or you know if they already know how to jig they come up and jig and that's really important for metis music because with metis fiddle it's not just about the fiddle and the fiddle player it's also about the people dancing like that relationship is integral to metis music and metis dance i feel very uncomfortable when it's just me like what i mentioned when i played at the museum it was just me and I was happy to do it because there's other Métis folks in the crowd, but no one got up to dance. And I think a big part of that is like, you know, a lot of folks either don't know or maybe don't feel comfortable getting up in front of a room full of strangers, you know, non-Indigenous strangers particularly too. But it makes me feel really uncomfortable. It's like I'm, I'm just standing up there naked. Like, it's it's not good. It, it makes a huge difference if people can come up and dance or if we know that people aren't going to do that and we're just kind of showcasing what we do. We, we change things up a little bit, right? Like, we, we take more breaks. We explain what we're doing so that people can can get the story out of the, the movements and the tune and everything for themselves. And then that's more of like a storytelling scenario. I know you've kind of talked about the different styles of... So there's like Celtic and there's Métis, Fiddle. So... With, have you noticed within Métis fiddle playing, when it comes to kind of the style, is there a difference between the songs and where maybe what community it comes from? So I'm thinking about maybe like the difference between what they would play in James Bay, where there's like a lot more of that Orcadian kind of influence versus what you might find with like Big John Arcans playing down in like um, Saskatchewan. So is there kind of a difference between the community connection in that way? Or is it fairly similar? I, th- I think it depends, particularly out here on the prairies, like there's old time fiddle. And so a lot of folks play like old time. And so those tunes generally, you know, they're, they're cross communities. Everyone knows those tunes and different communities will have different fiddle players. I think at that point, we're really talking about like the individual player themselves and how they do it different. I do think that there is an aspect of like community specific ways of doing certain tunes. I've also 
heard of there's like different ways to treat tunes and some people take a very traditional way where a, a certain family or a certain person owns this tune um, and those tunes I think generally stay within those communities where they're from so there, there is a sense in which like there's community specificity but I, I find it very cool that you brought up the or the Arcadian influence in like James Bay and also in like our Métis music here as well yeah for all of our listeners there's a documentary called the Fiddlers of James where they record uh, fiddle music from the community of James Bay and then they take it back to the Orkney Islands and have people in the Orkney Islands listen to the music and it's it's absolutely fascinating. I have like a strong connection with the Orkney Islands because I do have ancestors from there so I like anything that has to do with the Orkney Islands I'm all about that so... That's so cool because I so I watched that documentary a couple of years ago and got really into that history and I actually went over to Orkney two summers ago for their folk festival. It was phenomenal. It j just absolutely amazing. Everyone should, if you're listening to this, you should afterwards go watch the Fiddlers of James Bay. It's such a cool documentary. One of the fiddle players in that documentary from Orkney, I actually got in touch with and had tea at his house with him and his wife. And we just talked. And since that documentary, he's been doing a lot of research on the Arcadian and different indigenous groups fiddle styles. So right now he's looking at like Inuit fiddling. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, it's so neat. Yeah. So I'm yeah. a, I'm a descendant of Magnus Spence and that's how we track back to the Orkney Islands. So. Right. Okay. Okay. Elizabeth Ballenden would be my family's connection back. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's a pretty cool history over there. I did my honors paper on Orcadian um, half breeds in the fur trade and their social mobility up and down throughout the ranks of the Hudson's Bay Company. Oh, that's fascinating. I would love to read that. Yeah, I can send you a, a copy of it. It's not in the reading room at Native Studies um, <laughs> because of just some like, you know, issues that always happen uh, when you're doing those kind of projects. But I can definitely send it to you. There's lots of information in there. So Please yeah, do. it's actually, um, sorry, I, I managed to find documentary. It's a 30 minute long documentary. There is a link that we will post in the show notes if you want to watch it, listeners, and it's available for free in this link. I think it's uh, National Film Board of Canada. So yes, do yeah. it up. Perfect. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, I don't mean to like take over the podcast, but that just thinking of storytelling in fiddle playing, um, I think that this is actually brings me to a really interesting thing because a lot of folks think of like Métis fiddle having a Scottish influence when really I, I would argue it had more of an Orcadian influence which for folks who don't know the Orkney Islands are a set of islands just sort of in the northeast of Scotland but they weren't actually part of Scotland until fairly recently mm -hmm. um, they were part of Norway and the Norwegians have a very different way of playing and the Orcadians uh, another different way of relating to their music so one of the things I think about when I think of storytelling and fiddle is stories about who we are as people that exist in uh, the kinds of music we play but also in the absences of the kinds of music that we play and so when you think about the different kinds of tunes that Métis fiddle players play or the influence on our music, one of the things you'll notice if you're thinking about it as like, oh, there's got to be Scottish influence in this is that we never play something called the Strathspey, which is very characteristic of Scottish music. And so the question then would be, well, why don't we play it? And I, 
I always just kind of assume people didn't like it. Slower, it's got this like very interesting kind of characteristic to it called the Scott Snap, which is like a bum ba dum ba dum dum kind of a thing. It's like this like very heavy dotted rhythm. But when I was talking to Len Wilson, he was saying, no, the Métis don't play Strathspeys is because there wasn't that Scottish influence on our music. And it was it came from Orkney where they didn't play it. Yeah, I think that's fascinating, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There we go. On the same page, Sheila. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> oh, so like you've obviously thought a lot about this one and I know you're doing your PhD right now. Is there any influence of your music into your research at all? Uh, not so much. I've actually for myself, I, I try to keep my music away from my academic work just because like I've tried to think about music in like an academic sense and I've never been satisfied with it um I just don't think I can intellectualize it in a way that really does it justice um so I just kind of leave it to be its own thing not that's not to say that like music hasn't influenced the way I think but I just haven't made it explicit understand that though like you want to keep music for you like it feeds your soul whereas academia feeds your mind right I Mm -hmm. I I understand that's your escape I guess (laughs) <laughs> well, well I, I think it's too like I don't want to do a disservice to what the music is and like what it means to folks right because it, it very much like you say it is a very personal thing as well yeah and so I don't want to define it for people they relate to the music in another way I don't want to say that's wrong or that's bad or I don't want to put it like a prescriptivist tone to it and I think that in academia it's really hard not to do that because we kind of we identify like the one way things should be or like the right way to go about doing something I understand that so deeply when I was little my mom always used to ask me to um, perform for her friends whenever they came over and it just like I hated it so I actually stopped playing in front of people and because I just kind of retook it for myself <laughs> do you know what I mean I can't explain mm-hmm. it other than that other than like it's for me and only mm-hmm. for me maybe I'm being selfish about it but no I, I think that's very valid like people will want to define what your relationship to should be to a thing and don't listen to them right like particularly when you're an artist like it's it's got to come from you um in the case like i was mentioning with metis fiddle that does get complicated because it's also in conversation with like someone else's version of what they're doing is to them like mm-hmm. when i'm playing with my friends who jig their relationship to jigging and my relationship to fiddling have to work together in some ways in so harmony it, would you say in harmony i would say the synergy of our art. <laughs> synergy. <laughs> there you oh. go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, sorry, maybe it's too early for dad jokes. <laughs> no, I love it. It's never it's so too good. early for dad jokes. <laughs> so <laughs> speaking of um, kind of harmony and connecting with people, so we're still in the midst of COVID. How has COVID impacted your fiddle playing or, you know, connecting with people through fiddle playing? It's been very impactful in not such a great way. Uh, like I mentioned a couple of years ago, I went to Orkney. I did a big trip there, kind of on like a personal research trip. You know, I met some of my like fiddle heroes. So if you ever get a chance and you want to listen to some like, you know, Arcadian fiddle and guitar playing, uh, listen to Saltfish 40, one word. They are phenomenal. And I got to meet them, you know, that same summer I went to the John Arcand fiddle festival in uh, Saskatchewan and met a whole bunch of like old time players and I got to learn from Calvin Volrath at like a series of workshops that he did Uh, so it was phenomenal and I really felt that my 
like I mentioned, because I move around so much, I don't, I never really get that community aspect in my playing, but I was starting to get that a couple summers ago. And then the masters came and I was like, Hey, let me just do some work in my thesis. And then I'll go join some stuff in Edmonton where I live. That didn't happen for a while. And then I was like, okay, it's going to be now. And that's when COVID happened. So basically I had to isolate myself again as a fiddle player. It's been good. I've been practicing more. I've, I'm learning some new tunes that I really love. But I don't ever really get to play them for people. I don't ever get to really play for people who want to jig. The other week, me and Blake actually, because Blake's here now too, uh, we just did a show for fundraising for different like land protector things across Canada. That was really fun. Like I had to wear a mask because he just got a test and he came back negative, but I didn't. So I put on a mask, went to his apartment and we tried to keep some distance while he was jigging. So we're, we're hoping to do more of that. You know, we're hoping to hopefully soon do some kind of workshops again or something because it's really it's really important to share this stuff and not just keep it to yourself speaking of sharing do you teach lessons i have i started teaching some beginner fiddle and violin lessons when i was living in victoria and then i've been teaching you folks know paul hey paul yeah He was yes. on another episode. Yes, yeah. we do. He was in another episode last season. Yeah, I listened Aww. to that one. It was good. It was a good time. Yeah, so I, I've been teaching him a little bit. You know, we've we've kind of put that on hold. You know, we're all just so stressed out from COVID and then work stuff on top of that. And he's got kids. And so I haven't really been teaching too much actively at the moment. But I'm hoping to, co- if we can get COVID under wraps by January or February, I'm hoping to have some group lessons because there's a lot of folks who tell me they want to play but it's also hugely expensive and a lot of people don't want to pay you know 30 bucks for a half hour lesson when they're just starting I was thinking you know if we if we could get a group going we can make that more accessible for folks maybe have that like community or that like camaraderie that will help people stick with it because it's a lot of people come at it with a lot of energy at the start and then when they lose that energy they tend to quit and that's thinking about like the longevity of these traditions that that is a problem I think and it's not just on the people who are learning it's also on the teachers and how do we keep that energy going I think you bring up a lot of good points though because we're relational people so Mm -hmm. if you bring our relationships into the learning experience I think that has a huge impact right well and like you know and getting people to lift each other up in ways right like it's not just me telling people what they're doing wrong it's also like you know their their friends saying oh that sounded really cool when you did this or like wow you've really improved like you must be practicing rather than just me being like you didn't practice did you (laughs) oh man everyone who had a terrible (laughs) piano teacher like as a child just like did a power shutter yeah i i know i know i did I was like, oh, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Flashbacks yeah. to why didn't you cut your nails? Oh, God. <laughs> oh my God. Or like flashbacks <laughs> if you're uh, learning like guitar or something, why aren't you keeping your nails long is another one. My dad used to always oh, be yeah. like, stop biting your nails. You're not going to be able to play the guitar and use your own finger pick. I'm like, well, they have picks for a reason, Dad. He's like, they're not good enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I just have like five finger picks on your one hand just all the time. That's that would that's what he would do. He'd grow out his nails long and use just his nails. I'm like, that is uh, interesting. With style. an acoustic guitar or like a classical mm. guitar? Acoustic. Wow. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. My dad yeah. played electric and acoustic guitar both. Wow. So oh, just wow. depending on his mood is what he would pick up. We had like a whole music room in our basement when I was growing up because my dad was an amazing musician and I definitely did not get that aspect of, <laughs> that did not get passed down through the genes. <laughs> so 
Wyatt, we talked a lot about how storytelling really influences music. Is there any music or tunes that you've learned that are specifically about storytelling? Like I mentioned, I think all tunes have a story to them. And sometimes it's hard to be able to see that if you're not like sort of growing up in that. One of the tunes that I really like connected to in that way in my early days playing fiddle was by a band called Fluke. Uh, they don't actually play fiddle, but they play penny whistles for the most part. Or uh, that's like the, the melody instrument. But so the tune is called The Tortoise and the Hare. And I think it, it very much just tells the story. Like, you know, we all know about the tortoise and the hare. They're on a race and the hare gets cocky and sleeps and then loses the race because of it. And I think that that tune really talks about it. So there's another tune by, it's a an Irish tune by Finbar and Eddie Fury called The Fox Chase. And I think that really just sort of gives a really good entry point to seeing how a tune can be a storytelling device. Uh, so they start off this track by talking about like, this is what the tune is about. It's not a fiddle again, it's the Ulian pipes, but you know, all these tunes, we share them with different instruments. And then he goes, okay, this, this tune is about a fox chase and you're gonna hear the fox running, you're gonna hear the hounds, you're gonna hear the hunters with their horns. And it's, it's literally telling a story through music. It might not be the kind of tune that people that I know would listen to sitting down, just for funsies, but I think it, it's a very cool example of how tunes do tell these stories and even the tunes that we just listen to on the daily. Very cool. I'm going to definitely look that up and post links. All right, Wyatt, we asked this question to all of our guests um, because our intent and our purpose behind this podcast is to inspire others to get their stories out there. So what advice do you have for people who are getting interested in the fiddle who, who maybe want to play or learn more about it? Do you have any advice for up and coming musicians? Oh my goodness. Yes. I think one of my biggest things is just listen to it, cultivate a love for this kind of music to the point where like you, you get in the car and you put some fiddle music on the stereo, not because you feel you have to, but because you really love it. Right. And that's how you listening to other people and how they play is a big part of learning how to play yourself. And then also knowing that like the energy that we have for fiddle sometimes goes up and down. Sometimes we have tons and we're super inspired to keep playing. And sometimes we have these really low moments where we don't want to keep playing. We want, you know, we want to quit or we don't want to practice. And sort of just sticking, I would say, you know, just try and stick to it. And in those low times, like you don't have to like it. You don't have to really love practicing. If you can just stick with it and you can get through that, that time does end for most people, I find. And you'll you'll get to a point where you love it again. That's awesome. That is it for this episode today. And Wyatt, thank you so much for being here. And we have asked Wyatt to be what? Before we jump into that, Wyatt, is there anything that you would like to plug? Anything that you're working on? Or is there a way for our listeners to connect with you before we close off our section here? Yeah, if you folks are comfortable with it, I'm comfortable if you want to put my email up and then folks can just contact me through there. I'm happy to or answer any questions folks might have or direct them to someone who could. Like I said, hopefully we're going to get some, you know, beginner fiddle lessons going here in a few months, fingers crossed. And I think one of the things that I'm working on right now uh, in my music life is there's a big push for people who are jigging to jig to like hip-hop music or um, something a little bit more contemporary in that sense but 
I do worry about like, where does that leave fiddle players? And so I think, you know, we need to also start creating that kind of music. And so hopefully here soon, I'll, I'll have an album up on SoundCloud or something of some explorations of like, I don't know if I do hip hop so well, but maybe like fiddle EDM. Oh my yes. God, I need to see, I need this in my life. <laughs> I am so down for this. Yes, please. Yeah, we'll yes. see how it goes. It's awesome. First was not gonna be great, but you know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. I know you're on Twitter, Wyatt. Uh, how do you feel about us sharing your Twitter handle? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, do that. Um, yeah. My Twitter handle is uh, why guy, my guy, but it has all kinds of capitals and stuff in there. I, <laughs> nice. I don't even know myself, but yeah, it just, so folks know it's very politicized. So you're going to get a lot of that. If you follow yeah. me on Twitter, everything yeah. is politicized. It's fine. Oh my God. Yeah. You can't get away from it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Wyatt, for being with us here today. Um, I have definitely enjoyed this conversation. It's a great way to start off my weekend, which is when we're recording this or so what we've asked Wyatt to do and normally we do our little sound off every time we end um, but what we've asked Wyatt to do and I am so excited for this is to end us off by playing us a fiddle tune Thank you.